Good evening, this is Pamela, and you're listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We're going to continue in my book reading, and we are on Chapter 7, I believe it is, or is it Chapter 8? Let me check real quick. It is Chapter 8, and it is entitled, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. John chapter 19, 30 through 33. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first, and of the other that was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Matthew twenty-seven forty-five through 50 Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Mark chapter fifteen thirty three through 39 And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that, he so cried out and gave up the ghost. Saw that. Does that make sense? Saw that. He so cried out and gave up the ghost. He said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. John chapter 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Luke twenty three forty four through 47 says, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. We are going to take a closer look at this shout from the cross, because this one is the shout of ultimate victory. But it is also unnatural. John chapter ten seventeen through 18. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. 
Seven times Jesus uttered the most profound words that will ever be spoken upon this earth. Six of these cries were spoken during the most trying time of his physical life. During the struggles, heartache, and horrendous pain, he continued in his undying love for mankind. One of these shouts was a miraculous shout, one so amazing that even a pagan idol worshiper that day confessed Jesus to be the Son of God. This is the shout we are looking at today. We will take a closer look than we have ever taken before. This one is very important to understand and to take deep within your spirit. The seven shouts again were, one, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Two, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Three, woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. Four, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Number five, I thirst. Number six, it is finished. And today's number seven, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This shout was also yet another fulfillment of two prophecies written so long ago. Psalms chapter 31 verse 5, into thine hands I commit my spirit. This portion of scripture is prophetic. The latter part is not a messianic prophecy. It refers to King David. Whenever you see a colon in scripture, that is a break in thought. This part of the scripture is prophetic in nature. The latter part is not because it speaks of God redeeming. Jesus is the redeemer and had no need for a redeemer. Isaiah fifty three twelve. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. There is something written within these scriptures that I never realized, and possibly many people don't, but a miracle occurred with this last shout from the cross. I am not speaking of the temple veil or even the earthquake. Those were miracles, yes, but I am speaking of Jesus laying down his life, and no man taking it from him. Jesus laid his life down. He gave up the ghost. He released his spirit into the Father's hands. How many people do you know has released their spirit from the body? How many simply gave up the ghost at the command of their voice? I am not speaking about someone praying to die. I am not speaking of someone wishing to die, nor am I speaking of someone who is on the verge of death and knowing it. I am speaking of Jesus having the authority over death and in authority released his spirit, his breath, to the Father at his word. No other man in history has done this, nor will they ever be able to do this. Isaiah fifty three twelve. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his spirit unto death. Psalm thirty one five. Into thine hands I commit my spirit. This is a bedtime prayer for the children of Israel. This is the closing of their prayer. Jesus added Father to this prayer. In the Western world, our bedtime prayer is somewhat similar. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. With this last prayer, we see a reunion between the Father and the Son, but we also see his uh, ultimate victory. He paid the price. He satisfied the holy justice of God, and he endured until the end. He so much endured to the end that the word tells us he bowed his head. That is important to see because he had strength to have his head upright. And when he bowed it, it was on his own strength. He was not defeated. He was not weakened, but he willingly bowed his head and gave up the ghost. This statement was also a statement of the utmost faith, 
confidence, love, and authority. So much so, the word tells us the reaction of the Jews who were standing there, the centurion's reaction, and that of Pilate upon hearing of his quick death. Luke twenty three forty four through 48 And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. Mark fifteen thirty nine, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Matthew twenty seven fifty four. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Mark fifteen forty four through forty five, and Pilate marveled if he were already dead and calling unto him the centurion he asked whether he had been dead any if he had been any while dead and when he knew it of the centurion he gave the body to joseph this may not really mean much to you if you do not understand how long people hung upon the cross before dying sometimes it would be a whole week before they died they would be utterly crazed by the time they died but crucifixion was not a quick way to die it was meant to be a long shameful torturous death we actually derive the word excruciating from the crucifixion but jesus after six hours died and Pilate marveled at how quickly the other two that were hung that day had to have their legs broken this speeds up the death they had to die quickly because of the high sabbath the next day no one was allowed to hang upon the tree at this time jesus knew that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled say it and said i thirst it is finished father into thy hands i commend my spirit one right after another it was a quick succession how do i know this in matthew 27 and mark 15 it tells us that at the sixth hour until the ninth hour there was a darkness over the whole land and at the ninth hour jesus cried my god my god why hast thou forsaken me right after this cry they recorded that jesus yielded up the ghost but we know through luke and john he spoke three more times they were spoken quickly and at full volume i believe it is important to note not one of the writers of the gospel simply write he died what is important is how each one wrote about the last breath of jesus christ for us to understand it was his will he released his spirit he summoned death not in a weak state not in hopelessness no not in a defeated tone but in a victorious shout he gave up the ghost Matthew, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, meaning in Greek, he dismissed his spirit as a king would a servant. Mark and John cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. John, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In Greek, it would render he delivered up his spirit as one who has divine authority and full power over it. Luke, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Mark and Luke both show in the Greek that he willingly gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. He gave it.
Let's look at how Stephen died. In Acts chapter 7, 59 through 60, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this son to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen prayed for Jesus to receive his spirit, but not so with Jesus Christ. He gave his spirit to the Father. He dismissed it. He delivered his spirit, but no one took it from him. I commend my spirit, said William Hendrickson, indicates the spirit that the Savior died, the only kind of death that was able to satisfy the justice of God and to save man. It had to be a voluntary sacrifice. The very fact that Jesus uttered this word with a loud voice also shows that he willingly, voluntarily laid down his life. And that's in the Gospel of Luke, his book, page 1036. Augustine Augustine, I wonder how he's pronounced that. I think it's Augustine, had a good understanding of this great truth. He said, quote, he gave up his life because he willed it, when he willed it and as he willed it, unquote. No other person has ever done that. You and I don't have that kind of a choice about matters of life and death. Jesus died a natural death. Jesus died an unnatural death. And Jesus died a miraculous death. Number one, natural death by means he died by breathing his last breath. Number two, unnatural death because Jesus had no sin. And the word says, for the wages of sin is death. Death had nothing on Jesus. He had no sin. Number three, he released his spirit. He delivered his spirit and he summoned death because death could not come nigh him because in him was life eternal. And I'm going to add to that. Remember where Jesus says that the um, enemy of the world comes and he hath nothing in me. Satan had nothing in Christ Jesus whatsoever. Nothing. We need to remember that. In him was life. Jesus also was the only man to endure the judgment of God first. Then death came. For it is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. With Jesus it was the opposite. Because he took our sins upon him and endured the judgment of God. Then he died. Though Jesus was in much pain and agony on the cross, one thing is certain. He had total control of his mind and his will. He had strength enough so that he cried loudly. He had strength enough to hold his head up and strength enough to bow his head gracefully. Though the cross was torturous, it was never intended to be a quick death. It was meant to be long and painful. Notice the other two that were crucified with him were still alive when Jesus released his spirit. Pilate marveled that he was dead so soon. There was no vital organs injured during crucifixion. There was no logical reason for Jesus to be dead after only six hours. His death was a miracle. The Jews knew this, the centurion knew this, and Pilate knew this also. I believe the reason the Jews knew this also shows by them which left beating their breast. They had the written holy word being lived out in front of them. How could they deny this? They also thought that Jesus was calling for Elias. They wanted the soldiers to refrain giving him anything to drink and hoped that Elias would come. They were halted between two opinions that day and were hoping for a miracle in order to believe. But God is a God of faith, and faith is what pleases him. 
Also, they had a sign that was posted above Jesus, which was his accusation that Pilate wrote in three different languages. It was tradition that each family brings or buys a lamb for the Passover. The lambs would have the family's name on a tag and tie it on with a rope or yeah, a rope so God would know that their family observed Passover. Pilate unwittingly put Jesus' family name on God's Passover lamb that day, which angered the scribes and Pharisees. The inscription that Pilate wrote in our English translation says, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Those who were from Rome would read it in their native tongue, Latin, the Jews in their native tongue, Hebrew, and all others in their common language used of that day, which was Greek. It was a custom to take the first letters of the words and put it together. That is why we see I-N-R-I upon so many crosses today. According to the priesthood in the blood by Perry Stone, page 15 through 17, the Greek letter O is called an Omicron, an Omicron and can be translated a variety of ways into either of, and a etc it seems like a very insignificant word but it makes all the difference in the world when finding out what the what made the scribes so upset our english translators translated it as the but reverend peter micus who is a greek and speaks greek went back into the lydell and scott dictionary of greek words to see if this translation was correct because there was a suspicion of being more there then met the eye. There are pages and pages of ways to translate the Omicron in the Greek language, but when, Pro when Professor Micus came to about the fifth page, the Lydell and Scott showed him that it could be translated as and, and gave him an example that proved this was the way it should be translated in this particular case. In ancient Acropolis of Zeus in Pergamus, there was an inscription written to Zeus. Zeus in Homeric Greek, and the phrase was like this, and I can't read it. It's in Greek. <laughs> it's all Greek to me. The Lydell and Scott translate the phrase like this, Zeus of Pergamus and King and God. In the Greek, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, appeared like this, which is in Greek. In the Latin, it would read like this, which is in Latin. <laughs> I can't read that either, which would be um, the initials. I'm sorry. In the Greek, the initials would be I-E-U-I. -E in the Latin, <clears throat> the initials would be I-N-R. In Hebrew, it would read Y-H-V-H. Y-H-V-H. Though Hebrew is read from right to left, it would have read H-V-Y. No, H-V-H-Y. In English, it would read, it would write it Y-H-W-H. Yeah, seriously. This is the sacred name of God. And how I pronounce it is Yahava. And other people pronounce it as Jehovah or Yahweh. With all of the evidence, I myself completely believe in my heart. When the Jews looked up and read the inscription placed above Jesus that day, they read the sacred name of God, and that is what infuriated them.
Along with all of the Jewish families that day, they had their lambs marked with their family name. I believe God himself had his lamb marked with his name. Praise God. God provided enough evidence that Jesus was his son. He was the lamb of God. John the Baptist proclaimed it in the wilderness. The miracles Jesus performed witnessed for him. And God, using the very man Pilate who proclaimed Jesus' innocence to place his name on his lamb that day. The sky growing dark, the earth quaked along with the selflessness of the man on the middle cross that day. Each of these were the miracles God showed each and every one present. And I got to turn the page here. Let's see, let's see, let's see. I will be right back. Okay, now I'm back. Let's continue reading. <laughs> okay, I always like to have at least two witnesses to satisfy my spirit. So on the next page, you will find an insert, which you won't, I'll read it to you, from the Blue Letter Bible, stating the same thing. Taken from Blue Letter Bible, ha, yes, you do, you do, I can't say that word. Let me see if I can say it now. Ha, Yahudim, Melech, ha, Nazari, Yahashua, Jesus of Nazareth and King of the Jews. Y-H-W-H. From right to left is how you read Hebrew. The name of God. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus the Nazarene and King of the Jews. When Jesus crucified, Pilate wrote the formal epithet that was nailed to the cross. This particular wording he chose displeased the Jewish leaders and they asked him to change it. Pilate refused. This is how it is worded in the original Greek language, and I can't read that. Just let you know. Wish I could, but I can't. Um, I will try to put it in the um, video so you can see it for yourself. This is how it is worded in the original Greek language. Notice the O written with the quote. This is a Greek letter, which is called an amicorn, and this letter can be translated a number of ways like of the and and etc so this right here is just confirming everything that i had read from the priesthood of perry stone's little book that i quoted from now hebrew sound for letter and then it says sounds like and you know some people like i said say yahweh i pronounce it yahava um in english they, they call him jehovah um the j j was not even in practice then whatsoever. Yah, Yah is another name for God. Hava is love. Yahava, the sacred name of God. All right. Yahava is the name of God that Hebrews will not pronounce or speak. If you go to any website looking for to hear the proper way to speak it, you will hear the pronunciation of Adonai or Elohim. Hebrews believe the name of God to be too holy and sacred to even spell out, and they fear of breaking the commandment using God's name in vain, so they will not speak it or spell it. And I can respect that. Later, I have found, though, which I found very, very interesting, is throughout the Old Testament, they were um, to teach their children the name of God. And now it had gotten to the point where the Jews became so superstitious and 
so full of oral tradition and stuff that they they don't and they won't even write it out and i can respect it i can actually respect it. they wouldn't even write god out they'll put g dash d in order because they're afraid they're going to misspell it or something but also they have tried to hide the proper uh, pronouncement or the enunciation how do you say that word what i'm trying to say how do you pronounce the sacred name of God from the Gentiles because they don't want us knowing it. There's no magic in in the sacred name of God. There's not. You better make sure that you revere it and hold it up high. Absolutely. But God does not want that hidden from us. It tells you throughout the Old Testament that and even David, I mean, throughout the Psalms everywhere, it speaks about the name of God. And yes, you can speak it out, but I suggest that you do it in complete and total reference, knowing that his name is holy. He is holy. So anyway, that's that. All right, that right there was chapter eight. I hope that made sense to you. Next time we are going to start in chapter nine and that will be entitled Laid in the Tomb. I love you all so very much. Keep your eyes on Jesus your nose in the book, which is the word of God and embed the word of God upon the tablets of your hearts. So you will not sin against God or be deceived. Till next time. I love you all.